Hi, my name is Jamie Lynch, and you are listening to Eating Habits, my podcast about everything restaurants. I will explore the human element of the hospitality business, and I'll talk to the who's who in restaurants, explore their stories, and hear what's on their minds in the ever-changing landscape of the food and beverage industry. Hey, this is Sammy Koenigsberg. You're listening to Eating Habits. I pronounced your name wrong. <laughs> Have I been doing that all this time? What did, what, how do you Co- pronounce Koenigsberg. it? Yeah, that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I think you pronounce it wrong. I think you're the only person that pronounces it. I don't really know how to pronounce it, so I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't bust anybody for it. I love but it. I'll bust you. Oh, that's fine. I deserve yeah, it. I've always been offended, Jamie. <laughs> All right, so I'm here with Sammy. All right, so the reason I asked you to be on Eating Habits, Sammy, is that you have been an immense inspiration for me in my kind of culinary journey here in Charlotte. You've been a mentor when I started my farm. I mean, I don't think Corey and I would have been close to getting crops out of the ground (laughs) had we not got some, some guidance from you. So I wanted to get you on here to talk with our listeners about this idea of where your food comes from and why that's important to you, why you do what you do, how you got started in all this, uh-huh. and then just kind of explore that a little bit. Okay. Which one of those? <laughs> so, how, so, so how'd you get started in it? Like why, why farming? I mean, you weren't always a farmer. You didn't come from a farming right. background, correct? Right. Tell me a little bit. About yeah. So that. I grew up in Charlotte and, uh, I, uh, was educated in a, college prep school and farming was nowhere anywhere in the picture in my mind anything some early influences I really love growing things with uh, my dad and, and growing tomato plants at a young age and then you know when I was a teenager I grew some other things that I was real excited about <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, Ooh a I don't, dirt. I don't a think dirt, I've heard man. this story. You're, you're the first. I debuted tell, it here. Tell me more. <laughs> That's enough. Okay, got it. I think we all understand. Um, Very good. But, you know, the whole part of that was is that I loved, I didn't care much about consuming these products I was growing. I, I, was, I was more into growing them. I just loved that, watching that process. That coupled with uh, another early influence was my uncle. He was a naturopathic physician, and he began talking to me when I was at a very young age about sort of some of the things that were going on with our food, where our food, how our food was being raised, what, you know, I, I later called it behind the veil because one of my biggest soapboxes that we can talk about through the years has been our removal from our food. and. The, all the problems that that causes. And so he began to illuminate that, you know, uh, confinement, factory farming and pesticides and soil erosion and all that. And it, it just piqued my interest. I was always, uh, was always interested in health and, and eating. And, you know, I spent seven years as a vegetarian. But, uh, you know, farming wasn't anything I ever thought about really uh, until later. I think some of the big turning points were I went, I, I went to college to study architecture and got an architecture degree while there. We had a semester long project to design a farmer's market of all things, which as I would later do in real life, but I 
during that semester-long project, I read Wendell Berry's The Unsettling of America and um, just had an enormous influence on me, and it just spoke so much to what I had always felt was wrong. And I, I just, I really, I worked so hard on that project, and I really felt called to do something about these problems. I didn't know what. A brief note to say that, you know, I got into architecture because at some point, the the nature of the creation is how I like to refer to it. It began to touch me deeply in my life, and I began to see the importance of it. And then architecture was sort of how can how can man interact with the creation without destroying it and damaging it, which is what was so trub- troubling to me, and I wanted to do something to help that. So you kind of had this sustainable kind of seed or root. Exactly. You know, like somewhere... It seems like it kind of was always there, right? And and then like your you know through your experiences, you know, learning about the medicinal like stuff, and then the fascination with the creation and and how we can not mess that up. I mean, it seems like there's this sustainable kind of line that runs through all of that stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I never thought about it that way, but yeah, when you when you look back and you put it all together, it does. Gotcha. And then, uh, and then, and then, when I graduated from school, I became very ill, and it was uh, that was probably the biggest turning point. I couldn't. I I got arthritis in my hands and in my upper spine. I couldn't sit over a drafting table. It was the other part of my architecture was I wanted to build, design, and build, and I couldn't really do that. One thing I could do was get out and work in a garden, and my grandfather, on my wife's, my my wife, I was married and had one child at the time, gave us a tiller, and so we we were living out near the UNC Charlotte, and we tilled up a big garden, and I loved it. It was good for me physically to get out and work, to sweat, and then to have the good food. This this illness went on for a long time. You know, it was one of those things that they had no cure for, you know, they kind of did all the tests and wanted to just throw some antidepressants at it. And about that time, my dad said, I'm going to sell the farm, which is the piece of property we're on now. It's 50 acres just south of Charlotte and Waxhaw. And it was just a piece of land we grew up on, um, just coming out here and messing around, riding horses. We didn't, we, and then we didn't live here until much later. Did your father live here at the time? He did. Yeah. He was divorced and had a house here with right. his second wife. I spent junior and senior year living here, but it was just a, uh, it was just deep in my soul, part of that sustainable thing that was in me, this, this love and this care for land was just something there. So here we were sick with one child and my dad said he's selling the property unless we're interested. I was growing a garden, so I, I said, well, okay, we want to move out, and we're thinking about starting a little farming business, you know, just, just to help until I get better. Uh-huh. I can grow good food. That You know, the me- there was no medicine for it, and so that time I was already engaged into food as medicine. So yep. that was 1990, and we, we got started. Nice. Were, had you been planning this farming business for a while or was it just something that kind of made sense 
because you couldn't do the work that you, you know, trained in school for. You had some property available. I mean, there wasn't a farmer's market at that point, right? In 1990, was there? No, it was, you know, organic was not. Nobody knew, even really knew what that was. There yeah. was some, so the only markets for it in Charlotte were small little 60s style health food stores. Yeah. So I think the lifestyle of farming was attractive to me. I knew it was something I could do since I couldn't do what I trained to do. And we had this land and on this land was a tractor, a greenhouse, a bobcat, front end loader, and open land, you know, so like everything we needed to get started. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I had read a book who, by Elliot Coleman called The New Organic Grower. And he was sort of, uh, he was really inspirational and in what I would say would be like the second back to the land movement that produced the farmer's market movement that we're all surrounding today. And his book was sort of the seminal work in that. And it was, it was basically like a how-to book. Mm-hmm. And so he gave me the vision that you can do this yeah. and gave me the, the tools to begin. There was no internet back then, yeah. or I didn't, I certainly didn't have it. So we had books. So we were given a house and we were given the land, we were given all the equipment. So we didn't have a lot of obstacles that most people have when they get into farming. So we decided to start and see where it would go. And look where it went. Man, it's got, <laughs> where is it? it? Yeah, yeah, we were just well, we were talking about it before we started recording. We were talking about the farmers market, and just this area alone out here in in Waxhaw is like blown up. I mean, I remember the first time I came out here after I met you through Mark Martin um, is how we met at at Ethan's restaurant. I think that was probably in two thousand and two, maybe yes. something like that. Some of the best meals ago. I've ever had in my life. Yeah, I still was, talk he, about it. He was great. You helped. Yeah, I helped. I helped. Yeah. But but so and and I've talked about this in many episodes that or or interviews that I've given is um you know cooking in New York and at the pedigree that I kind of worked in we always had the best ingredients available to us. Price wasn't an option. We could buy from anywhere in the world. Like we had, we could ship stuff from Asia and uh, anywhere. And meeting you at Ethan's and being introduced to you through Mark was the first time that I actually met the farmer growing the food. Hmm. And that, that was an integral moment for me mm-hmm. um, in my development as a chef because your vegetables were amazing. I mean, beautiful, but like as close to perfect as I've seen, right? Just everything was like picture book, like what, a vegetable should be right like a radish they were like the skins were bright and they were like perfectly round and they had these beautiful green tops that weren't wilted and brown and gnarly and i just remember like seeing this stuff and being like whoa and it still had dirt on it because you didn't you know like it had some dirt on it and i was like wow okay cool this is amazing and you had invited me out to the farm you were like I think, I don't know if you'd seen something or whatever, but you were very gracious about saying, hey, if you want to come out and see what we do, come see what we do. Yeah. All right. I'll be out there. (laughs) I think I came out like the next week and just showed up. was like, all right. How old old were you then, would you say? I think I was probably maybe 28, 30, 28. Okay. 
Yeah, 20, well, let's see, it was 20, 27. So I'm 47 now. So that was 20 years ago. 20 years ago. Okay. Holy smokes. Wow. Yeah. And so and so I came out to the farm and then saw this. I mean, your farm is beautiful. We'll, we'll, we'll post pictures and stuff up. But it was so well manicured and green and organized. Coming from a kitchen chef's perspective where we're, I'm very fussy about my mise en place. I need everything in its place and the salt goes here. Everything, you know, everything's right. very meticulous. Yeah. And I definitely saw that on your farm, just like the systems. Yeah. But there was this kind of natural beauty to it. Mm-hmm. Like it just kind of does what it does too. Right. Like there's right. this, like, you can't totally control it. Right. <laughs> you <Good> know, point. <laughs> <laughs> which I want to talk Thanks, about. A Jamie. Little bit. Yeah. There's a lot of uncontrolled places today. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that, but it really resonated with me. And I think it's planted a seed for me to eventually, I mean, a, to really learn about where my food comes from. Right. Um, just, I was so inspired that this stuff was being grown 20 miles from the restaurant yeah. and I could go see it, Yeah. which was something that was new to me. Right. And I think a lot of city folk are new, like that idea is new to them. Yeah. All right. They, they're not connected to their food the way that you can be here, which was really inspiring. And then learning a little bit about, I think at that time, I mean, you, your kids were all born. So 20 years ago, your youngest was two? He's 18. So Okay, so he yeah, was. He may, maybe we had a few more to go. Oh, yeah. yeah. First met you. <laughs> wow. Some of those good meals and wine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. But, I, so, but I, I recall this image in my head of like the kids digging up potatoes. Yeah. Just lined up in the row, you yeah. know, digging up these potatoes. And I was like, man, you need to have an <laughs> army of, of kids to be able to do this job. <laughs> what, was, what was that experience like for you? Getting the farm up and running, bringing your stuff to market. Yeah. And then, like, kind of becoming this, you know, godfather of uh, organic farming in Charlotte. Yeah, I I never, you know, to go from an architect to farmer in the culture of the 80s was sort of a big downgrade, you know. My mom wasn't telling people at cocktail parties that I was a farmer. <laughs> she wasn't stoked. <laughs> After paying for my education, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I didn't, I never, you know, and I, I, I was just doing something, basically, it's what I could do and what I, and I, and I also believed in it and I also felt like the lifestyle would be really good for me and and I could be on this land every day you know I'm kind of an introvert I I I do better with plants than being around a lot of people so it just seemed to fit and I loved hard work that's why I wanted to be a design build architect I I knew I couldn't sit at a desk all day I knew I needed to sweat and so, yeah, we we had one child when we started. As I said before, uh, organic wasn't a household word, and, and local agriculture wasn't even on the radar. Like, people didn't even, that that had not yet even occurred to people. You know, we were still rejoicing in the decentralization and industrial agriculture and all that. Mm-hmm. I guess to answer your question, it was it was quite beautiful to have the things that you know about and care about and you felt like you were a lone voice crying in the wilderness 
to all of a sudden begin to be appreciated by not just not just a small niche of people of you know people that have the time and the intellectual prowess to look into these kind of things and to be able to care about what their food where their food comes from but but from a, a large the awareness kind of hit it was sort of part of the environmental movement there were several books that were written like michael pollan's um omnivore's dilemma and that had huge impact and got people really thinking so there i was you know like i'm i'm not the best farmer i'm just the only one so i sort of became the spokesmodel for small organic farming in the charlotte area so um you know i was speaking weekly and putting together slideshows and we even got invited to go to mexico to present at a festival that was bonaparte and bruce moffat and i and terra madre in italy uh we were delegates in 2006 and so all this attention, you know, then newspaper articles, all of a sudden my mom was proud I was a farmer. Right. <laughs> so yeah. It was... Uh, People were taking notice. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we started the market. We started a CSA. All those things were successful, relatively speaking. You know? mm -hmm. So that was great. It was also exhausting, you know, for an introvert to go on the speaking circuit. You know, I had a lot of panic attacks and... <laughs> did you did you suffer from that kind of like anxiety from having to be in groups and stuff like that? A little bit, yeah, yeah. a little bit. I, I hate I hate I got through it. Large groups, yeah. It was, you know, if I knew it was, if I knew it had a purpose, I could yeah. do it. Yeah. Right. So I did it, but yeah. So it was overwhelming. It was great. We're still going. You know, mm -hmm. it, it it kind of I had given my dad a business plan. Because I'm on his farm using his stuff, and and my we we've tripled we tripled my uh, rosy projections that I didn't even believe in when I gave them to him. So it, <laughs> it actually did you know it did fairly well considering what it is. And nice. We're not ready to start an IPO or anything. <laughs> <laughs> right. So let's talk about that a little bit because I don't farming's hard work. Yes. Um, I think. You know, I I associate my the seed for me wanting to start Chef Jamie's farm from meeting you and seeing the farm and then getting connected to the the foods that we were cooking. And I realized through getting to know you over the years and the market and coming out to the farm that I really did not know anything <laughs> about the vegetables that I was cooking. I mean, I knew I knew a lot from an everyday person's perspective. But I did not understand the process. I did not understand, like, why the things happened, how, you know, these, um, these beautiful vegetables come to maturity and then nurture us and stuff like that. And that became really fascinating to me. Um, and so I needed to learn more. Like, that's why I wanted to start the farm. It wasn't about making money or being a farmer. It was really about understanding this whole process better. And, and man... That was a lesson learned. I learned. Yeah. yeah, I learned, and and I I'd like for you to talk a little bit about that because it is there's a lot of variables. Many are in your control. There's a lot of things you can plan for, and and you know you can I guess strategize for the best you can. But then there's a lot of things like you can't control the weather. That's something that's out of, out of out of your hands. Dear. 
Uh, deer? You can't control deer? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe here. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I don't know that people get it, right? I don't think they understand. And if I don't know if there's a story that you have of 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 maybe a time where you know you got taken advantage of by one of these unforeseen forces, um, and kind of how you how you bounce back, how you dealt with it. Is there do you, do you have anything like that you could share? Yeah, um, I could. Pro- I probably I I like to talk about those things kind of philosophically, and I I don't know if I. But to, but to go back to just to touch on something that I think in your story, you know, that, that you, and this has always bothered me, that, the, that a culinary education has no idea about or is, you know, I mean, I know some of that's changed, but for the most part, they have no idea of the stuff that comes in boxes in the back door. And yet that's the primary medium of their craft. Mm-hmm. And I think you should do a podcast on how that changed for you after forming. <laughs> I will. <laughs> but, I will. As a, as, a, as a backup to this interview, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll do that. That's a, that's a good point. So, yeah, over the years we've tried to get a lot of culinary students out here through the different schools that are in Charlotte and either butchering chickens or working mm-hmm. in the garden. But, yes, it's, it's – um, it's for it's hard work, and I believe it needs to be. I believe there's a purpose for that, and it sort of goes to the heart of of my personal beliefs. But but I feel like it ultimately it has something to teach us. You know, the sweat, the the battle with the weeds, the battle with the weather, the battle with the wildlife. You know, like I, I wasn't kidding when I said deer. I mean they. They wiped out a whole patch of our okra. You know, it's thousands of dollars they did in one night. You know, and that, and no matter what we do, we can't get rid of them. You know, we, so yeah, there's all these forces. Well, I think you could get rid of them, but you choose not to. I want to touch on that a little bit. Cause Hell no, cause... I would kill every one of them if I had an AR-15. <laughs> <laughs> well. I mean, hate I, to be, you know that that <laughs> that's the anger part of this, and uh, and sometimes these uncontrollable forces, you know, really do make you want to give up. Yeah, you know, it's really hard. Have you had a time where you've wanted to throw in the towel and uh, you know what? Yeah, last week. Um, yeah. You know, also I'm 60 years old, and I'm. <laughs> so you're like maybe maybe now it's time to give up. Yeah. So, <laughs> so those things that happen. <laughs> You know, they they feel bigger, you know, the steamroller, you know, yeah. is, is, you know, got from a tricycle running over you to a steamroller. But yeah, it, I, I think those things ultimately keep us humble. I believe that organic farming in particular is hard because we, we're not just spraying herbicides. We're not just using chemicals yep. and that, and I don't see really, I don't, I mean, you, there's thinking, there's technologies that don't kill destroy and poison the earth and our food and those are all great and and we use as many of those as we can um but it's still hard work and i think Mm -hmm. the when we try to do end runs around that like we pay the price yep and you see that a lot in some of the big commodity farming i mean some of those books that you you talked about 
depict some of that kind of, right. you know, that monocropping stuff and how how dangerous some of that stuff can be. Right. We have developed systems to control and get rid of a lot of those variables, and they're the they're you know they're the systems that launched what's called the Green Revolution, which launched industrial agriculture, which launched the decentralization of agriculture, meaning that all the small farms couldn't make it anymore because they couldn't compete. And so agriculture all moved to a few places in our country and people could no longer make a living. You know, you remember the farm aid concerts and all that stuff, you know, just as hard enough as it is. And then you come up under the Goliath of all that, but we're paying a huge price for that in the future of food, really the future of our species living here on earth because we're destroying the, the ecosystems through, we're, we're basically burning, we're, heat, we're heating the house by burning it down. And so we're paying a price. We're also paying a price in tasteless, um, nutritionless, you know, food, which is a little, little more than cellulose balls when it's not grown with the kind of care and attention that really brings forth kind of what those things are meant to be. Yeah. And that's something that I noticed that may have been part of the attraction for me too, to, to, to go down my path to, to learn more about it was that somewhere along the way cooking with this food, my, my cooking got better. Right. To me, the dishes taste better. The food tastes better. You know, I realize as a chef, I don't I don't have to work as hard to make this taste good when it's grown properly. I think there is something. I don't know if this is true. I'm not a scientist. Everybody knows that. But I think I believe that there is some sort of chemical connection between food that is nutritious and your perception of its flavor. I don't I mean. Every time I, I cook with locally grown fresh stuff that's been out of the ground for a short amount of time as opposed to something that's been packaged at a grocery store or whatever, it tastes more vibrant. It tastes deeper. Um, the carrots are sweeter. They're earthier. Um, you can almost pick up some of those mineral notes. and like It's almost like wines, right? It's like that terroir situation. And, and I think you're absolutely right that cooking with this this type of nutritious locally grown food is better. I mean it's better for you, it's it tastes better. Um, obviously it's better for the ecology, mm-hmm. um, for nature. The price I think is is the issue that a lot of people struggle with, right? With organic mm-hmm. produce. I mean you look at it in the the grocery store, you got your organic section and then your commodity goods, right? And it's couple dollars more for your organic stuff yeah what do you think about or do you have any thoughts about how to how we could get this type of food in front of more people yeah yeah the i have a friend that used to say um cheap food is neither meaning cheap food is ne- it's neither cheap because you're paying a price for it through poison water um, terrible food uh, loss of farms in your communities um, erosion of soil which is the, 
the biggest problem and you know sacrificing the future so it's not cheap you know and and it comes at a cost that people can't see right there there's so many hidden costs to cheap food is is a it's the best way of dealing with that question and and you know when you start to in this country and many others cheap food is subsidized by leaps and bounds um huge huge amount of money uh, is pouring into these big agro farms and that's linked up with political power uh all the all those things it, it's really it food is power i mean we see that going on right now with uh in the ukraine the breadbasket of europe you know i think the reason he wants it is is because there's a resource better than oil and better than gold, and that's, you know, five feet of the best topsoil in the world and lots of it, you know. And we just don't – because we're so disconnected from farming, mm-hmm. we don't see the value of that. People don't get it. So how to make it cheaper? Um, or more accessible. Like or, maybe not even cheaper. Like Because yeah. like, I guess I don't want – because I see the value in it, right? I've done the work and I've learned yeah. it and I've learned it. So like I don't think it should be cheaper. How, but how do we get it more accessible? I right. guess is a better question. Right. I think I think the answer I don't have the answers to that and I think it's it's probably many pronged and there's a lot of people working on it. Like you know, currently there's this beautiful elegant win-win system called double bucks in the farmers market where people that are on government support for food if they shop at a local farmers market which like Matthews we and we we do this program there their their food stamps or or I'm not sure what they call them now snap yeah. tokens are worth uh double in the farmers market buying local food than they are in the grocery store buying you know sodas and crackers and so and this is something that you guys do as as you you give the value the double value to those no it's it's a uh it's mobilized on local level but it's being done all over i think the the charlotte food policy council is awesome raising a lot of money for that you know that i just mentioned that as as one part of the solution Mm -hmm. you know I, i think the the other thing is as agricultural decentralizes which will happen if you know i guess that's kind of the ultimate vision is that we that our cities become surrounded by a patchwork of hundreds of farms that that support the city right now there's a few places in the country where most of all the salads and things for the restaurants are grown (laughs) and so so if hurricane katrina had hit the salinas valley in california they said that restaurants would be without produce for the next six months. Yeah, all of them. Yep. You know, and so that's unsustain. That's unsecure, unsustainable. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. It's foolish. Yeah. And so, but you know, when I can make this teeny bit of money off this fifty acres, or I could sell it for, um, you know, ninety thousand dollars an acre. Economically, these in. Th- these places aren't going to remain farms. So, you know, there's, we're I'm meeting tomorrow with a group that is, is working on that problem. They're trying to buy farms 
put them in easements and then sell them to farmers that can pay it back within 10 years and still own the property, albeit at an easement cost. Mm-hmm. So there, there's there's a lot of smart, lot of lot people, smart working people working on it. Yeah, and, and there's so many different programs. I'm not even aware of half of them. You know, yeah. that's the problem when you you either be an activist or you farm, and or you're an extraordinary person and can do both. <laughs> so. Well, I think you've done an awesome job of touching the people, at least in your community, right? I mean, the Matthews Farmers Market is a great example. I mean, you were part of the. The group. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. Talk about the the formation of the Matthews Farmers Market because I think that that has become a hub yeah. now for chefs for for just the community yeah. to get connected yeah. with their food and to buy great food that is healthy, um, that is local, supporting the local community. Um, and you are a part of that, so there's some activism there. Obviously, you know, you to support your farm and stuff as well, but but that has grown into a hub. Right. And so I think that's important. Yeah. So how did that, how did that all come to be? Yeah. Yeah. I'll take that. Um, So when we started, you know, as I mentioned, we only had these small health food stores. And so we, we needed markets. And so we started a CSA that year, which, which if, if your audience doesn't know, it's where families buy into the farm and they get a, a weekly delivery of produce for summer, spring, fall season. So we started that with 13 families. Two of those were our parents. <laughs> <laughs> you got to start somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that same year, the town of Matthews came to me and a friend of mine who was on the committee in Matthews. And they said, well, we got this brilliant idea. We want a farmer's market in, in it, it was a downtown redevelopment committee. Matthews was dying. They were a little antique village. The food, the Harris Teeter had left. So there was no, there was really no reason for being for the center of the old town. And it had, it kind of slowly was dying as an antique village. And so they were looking for things to do to make it, to make it more alive, to make it viable again. And so they came to us and, uh, my friend Kevin Carpenter and I sort of took the ball and ran with it, and we we spent about. And granted, I had already done the research in school for the farmers right. market. Right, so you so. you had you had already had like you just pull that old project out. And you're like, hey, look <laughs> I did. What I got. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> We're here for you. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, the biggest thing about and and we did a lot of studies. We did neighborhood interviews. You know, we met with town council and and. We had a great benefactor, a property owner in downtown that owns the 100-year-old hardware store, David Blackley, and he was willing to let us use his land, which which was perfectly situated right in the, the, the heart of the downtown area. So um, we saw it was a, it was a good thing, and, and but we saw to make it a certain way. So it... Back in that time, farmers markets in the South were not real. They were um, uh, reseller markets. So mm-hmm. basically, you would go down to the big terminal markets in in, in uh, South Carolina, load up your truck, come up, put your straw hat on and your overalls, and act like you were selling stuff from your farm. And, and that's really how it was. I'm not exaggerating that. It was, it was kind of a masquerade. And mm-hmm. 
So we we said this is going to be a real farmer's market. We're going to put a 50-mile radius on it, and the, the, the people selling here have to have grown it themselves, and they have to have grown it within a 50-mile radius. And um, so with that, it also became then one of these pieces to help make food, local food, organic food more accessible by helping these farmers to actually be able to make a living and keep going. Yep. And so, you know, it's grown into probably one of the best farmers markets in the Southeast. We won best of Charlotte many years Mm -hmm. and, you know, it took a while to get going till awareness built, but how long long would you say that that took for the market to kind of take off and, and become a, a steady market? Um, so this was 1990 and it took about, I would say eight to 10 years to really get, to really get steady. You know, now, now that the awareness is there and the work's been done and the education's been done and people are are appreciative and desirous, it's, it's not as much of a slog. Yeah. We were, I mean, you guys sell out. I mean, if you want Newtown farm carrots, you got to get up early. <laughs> you got to be there before the bell. Yeah. That's a, that sometimes hurts us because some people, sometimes people are like, I oh, forget it. I'm not going to get there anyway. So they don't show, but, um, you know, we're not, we were, we were sort of an anchor tenant for a long time, but there's a lot of other great farmers in there and, you know, the patchwork of all of us together yep. is an incredible attraction. And, and the variety. Yeah. I mean, the variety at the market now, um, you know, with mushrooms and, like, things that, like, in the early days, nobody was even messing around with. Yeah. You know, you got Hiram working on that stuff and bringing that to market, which is amazing. There's meats there now. Yep. Um, um, dairy, which I don't think was there early on, right? Nope. Um, so, I mean, there's so bakeries. I mean, it's a it's like yeah. a legit market i mean i think it's it's really a best a best of yeah you can't get the stuff at whole foods Mm -mm. so you know yeah it really it really doesn't it's not exclusive in that way i mean i mean we even we have a gelato maker that is from italy that i haven't had anything like what he does so even on that level you know there's gelato out there now you guys got ice cream out there (laughs) like come on man occasionally yeah all right i'll I'll be there (laughs) now we're gonna get you you want to get people out there that's how you do it all from ice cream (laughs) whatever it takes good sticky buns (laughs) no the the people producing out there are amazing i mean for me it's hands down my favorite market to go to um the only drawback for me is the distance it's yeah. a little far from where I live downtown right. or uptown or wherever we call it. Yeah, it, so was, it, it was sort of, you sort of think this market would have materialized somewhere in Plaza or somewhere where people are more liberal-minded than conservative Matthews, but somehow it worked. Yeah. It probably took a lot longer. Yeah, that, maybe that's why it took eight years. And people drive, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was thinking about, you said something that made me think about the market creating a place um, where all these people could get together, sell their stuff. And then, you know, farmers could, could make it. Um, right. I had an experience with Chef Jamie's farm where we, we actually had to sell it due to the COVID thing. Right. Um, and I can, I can see how difficult 
it is to make it work. Yeah. Right? To make it sustainable or viable. Maybe not even sustainable, but viable. Right. Had I think that had the dice rolled a different way, maybe we would still be farming out there. But, you know, just a series of events yeah. wiped it out. Had you had experience with anything like that? Um, any issues where you kind of were backed up against it and yeah. um, really had to consider, would you consider sharing that? Yeah, yeah, I would. I, You know, all this was given to me, and so I, I've had the advantages. I've had a lot of advantages. I sought to use them to sort of, this this kind of, this is my nobilization of it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we sought to use those advantages to sort of pioneer a way, you know, with the market and to be able to endure, you know, the, the lean years of starting out because we didn't have the reality of expenses. You know, even our health insurance was provided. So we had no house payments. So we had all these advantages and we, we you know, we've continued to, but we're at a point now where just just living on the property costs us forty thousand dollars a year because the taxes are out out of the roof, and we're at that point now, you know, to to where we're looking at we've got we've we've got to expand the business, and here I am at sixty years old. Uh, okay, you need to do more now, so I'm looking at that going, hmm, okay. <laughs> But we're also, we also have my daughter and her husband. He's a chef, and she's they're both from the hospitality world. And so we're looking at a succession plan with them. So we're sort of in that time now where we're really challenged. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think you hit on a nerve, and it's the biggest nerve for me. And I think, I think there's a lot of people that would love this lifestyle, you know, mm-hmm. and they have a, there's huge obstacles from getting into it. And then there's obstacles staying in it. Like, do you do you want to sweat for 14 hours a day in the summer? And that's what we're doing. Never leave. Never go anywhere hardly. Uh, <laughs> uh, and make you know 15 bucks an hour. Are you, are you willing to do that? Do you love it that much? And but the 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 inability of a small sustainable farm to be a viable business is the biggest nut to crack. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, and I, I definitely don't, even with all the success I've had and with the notoriety and all that, I have not cracked it. I'm, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm honest about that because, um, and we're still working on it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I may die trying, but, but it's the time we find ourselves in history and, and these, these kinds of changes are, are really hard to make you know mm-hmm. you're steering a really big ship with a lot of inertia and you're trying to change a system that has so much money and power and agriculture just keeps consolidating and getting bigger and controlled by fewer and fewer hands mm-hmm. you know and to you have to you can never lose hope and you can never stop right and and what what you do matters it matters now and it matters eternally i believe Mm -hmm. so you know what you're fighting for now even if you even if you don't think you can win you will win Mm -hmm. (laughs) right what are some of those things that you are 
planning or thinking about or brainstorming to combat the the you know the taxes and all that. I mean, that's all stuff that happened over time, right? It's like property values go up, now your taxes are up and it's right. you know, you're maybe not making yeah, more, right? Like yeah. You only charge so much for, I mean, the economics of it. Right. Uh, they are what they are, right? Exactly. And, and there's, there's things. There's can, a ceiling. Yeah. And so, so what are some of the thoughts or ideas that you guys have for keeping up with the inflation and all that kind of stuff on the farm? Yeah. So thank you for asking that. So when I started the farm, there was, all, there was always a vision that it was more than a farm and we, there was always this hospitality component. It may have been a little nebulous at the start, but then it, it kind of formed. And then, you know me, I love the restaurant business and the food world. And, and you know, I'm not so sure that the restaurants were that ever that big of a component of our business. But I loved the relationship so much. I was so inspired by the dinners I had, like with you and Mark. And, and through the years with all kinds of people and seeing what they did with our food, which made me go back to the land and work harder. It made me want to bring a better product to, to you all. It's like our art, our arts and our crafts sort of intertwined in this thing that, that sort of elevated both of us. And so I just loved that. I, I loved the culinary arts. And so I always wanted to combine that and I think maybe one of the first inspirations or at least sort of to see somebody doing it you know it's been done it's been done a lot but in two that in the early 2000s at Terra Madre we met um oh Dar Darlena she has a and I'm forgetting the name now but she has a uh, a farm cooking school in in Cork Ireland and and um and then we met Alice Waters there too, and what she was doing. We met Nora, who's got restaurants in Washington D.C., the first certified organic restaurants in the country. And so all these things were real inspiration for me to somehow bring it back to the farm. Mm-hmm. So that same year, we started taking, you know, doing on-farm dinners, mm-hmm. and we we did. You've done several here. We did the Katori wine dinner. That was. That was fun. Fundraiser for Slow Food. Yep. So we, we did them as we did them as fundraisers, but it was it was all towards learning and trying to see this hospitality side of things develop. So that that's sort of what we're trying to formalize. Where we we opened the farm, which you know it, it's a beautiful spot. It's pretty close to town, and you know I I still I haven't done one of those dinners in probably two or three years and. Uh, a week doesn't go by where we don't get an email. People wonder when we're going to do one more so than what are you going to have at the market? It's like, when are you yeah. doing one of those dinners? Oh, wow. <laughs> I think people are hungry for that right now, right? Like this whole pandemic thing has got, you know, there's some sort of atrophy in people's com- social community thing where they just want to get together. People want, yeah, you know, they're craving it. And outside even better, yeah, right? totally. In a place like this. So, yeah, to bring... To bring all that together, to me, was kind of the, the most educational way to teach people about this. Um, slow food had a term, they called it eco-gastronomy. Mm. So basically saying that through a really, a, a plate of food 
that had both good agriculture, local agriculture, and maybe even small breeds, precious seeds agriculture, combined with really good culinary arts, was a window back to educating people in the best way to understand issues of the soil, to engage them. Because they, you know, like, I've never had anything that tastes like this. What What's going on here? Mm-hmm. Tell me, you know. It opens a world of, hey, where's my food coming from? What mm-hmm. What's, you know, maybe I'll read a few books to find out. Maybe this could help my health problems that seem intractable, you know. Um, so, you know, people coming together to celebrate these these blessings of good food, good culinary arts, good agriculture, the beauty of the surroundings right at the place where the food's coming out of the ground. To me, it was like about as close as heaven as you can get, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we hope to do for people. Awesome. Yeah. And hopefully it, it would be a, a business as well where we could make enough to stay here. Yeah, to help yeah. offset all those rising costs and stuff. Yeah. What's that look like? When, when can we expect that? When is – I mean, I'm excited. I hope that you invite me to do one. <laughs> <laughs> or two or more. I, I mean, I'll, I'll think about it. it. Yeah. <laughs> I know of where course. those potatoes come from. <laughs> I've planted those potatoes. I know. You um, have all the qualifications. <laughs> you should um, be first. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd be happy to. But, um, yeah, so when, when, when do you think you might be able to, um, to, to realize some of that? So we're hoping spring of next year. Keep an eye on our, our – you can get on our mailing list at newtownfarms.com and – and we, you will be the first to know, you know, when our, our new you guys website sending out a newsletter? We, we, we do. You can sign up. We don't do it maybe twice a year for okay. turkeys or something, but, but we'll be more regular with them as this develops. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole other website connected with this work and everything that we're working on. So, yeah, it'll, you know, hopefully we'll have a calendar of dinners that you can schedule and come out. And then we're, we hope to do kind of lower price point pizza nights, mm-hmm. farm more pizza. More fam- like family-orientated kind of dinners and things to get. Yeah. I think getting the youngsters out here is the key. Like yeah. I think I think, I think a lot of the work, the groundwork's been done a lot in Charlotte, I think, as far as setting up the systems, the markets, the, you know, the connection with the restaurants and a lot of that stuff. And, and you know, the youth – is the future right like that's that's the key right is getting getting access to young people so that they see it as this is where food comes from wow um that's awesome i have a question for you hit me regards to that is that okay can i ask you a question of course so your generation of chefs you you know you you kind of were weaned during the beginnings of the farm to table movement and rode right through it i hate to use those terms but it, nonetheless, that's what it was. How do you see young chefs coming out of school now? Are they engaged in these issues? Do they care? Or do you think it's just a blip? Or uh, or, or are they less engaged? Where, I, where do you think that's at? I think that, I think that they're more engaged. However, I don't know if that's because of my proximity to it. And because it's important to me. And so it's part of the dialogue and what we do at Fifth Street Group. I mean, we're always searching out the stuff and it's something that we talk about. And so I'm not sure if it's because they're exposed to it, 
you know, and it's a part of our conversation that it's it seems that way to me. Yeah. But that said, there's a lot more chefs of my generation that are engaged, right? That have kind of had the awakening, right? right. Where we've kind of been like, whoa, okay, this is where food comes from and are are trying to push that forward and make it central to what we do in the restaurants, which I feel has to carry over um, to the next generation. Because they're, they're growing up under your tutelage. And yeah. They're... And I mean, and that's, and that's so much of what I do now, right? Like uh, it's, it's rare that I'm working the pass at one of the restaurants. You know, I still do it from time to time for fun, you know, just to mess with my team or whatever. Yeah. But um, you know, a lot of what I do now is, is, training my team and coaching my staff and, and talking about the stuff that inspires what we do and our, our version of hospitality. So my hope is that that will carry over to some of those young chefs and help to push it, keep pushing it. Neat. Yeah. That's good to hear. I think in town there's, there's consolidators now and I think mm-hmm. they're a piece of the puzzle, you know, yep. that they, I'm they, actually going to be speaking with Jesse later yeah. today. Okay. Yep. So good. From, um, Fresh list, yeah. I uh, I think he's doing a great job, and I think they're the piece of the puzzle. The one thing that I that I feel is sacrificed and all that is the relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, like you know, me coming into the kitchen, yep. seeing you, um, you telling me things look beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just I, I I hope that that kind of thing, that those kind of connections, because I think. I think those are intrinsically valuable, and I think knowing the people, the hands that are digging in the dirt, that are raising the animals, that you can travel to the farm and all that is mm-hmm. something that doesn't go away, and that we just, and this consolidation thing just sort of starts the whole thing all over again, mm-hmm. where, you know, the convenience of making one call and before long, right, everyone's removed again, mm-hmm. you know? yeah. There's going to be a balance there for are, sure. Farmers are losing because there's a middleman. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not <laughs> ragging on Jesse, but I think <laughs> well, I, I really do believe it's important part of yeah. the solution. It's not just you know, right? Me driving in town with a little truck. You know, it's it's not going to happen. There and there's all sorts of levels of this. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. And he's helped keep farms alive. So yeah, and but, I think he's also helped make it. You know easier for chefs to use local farms right i know early on for me it was the difficult part which which we endured and and look forward to the challenge was getting the 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 crop lists each week placing the orders and then you know planning in like just all of the energy it takes to to go through that process right is is tough right Um, especially if you have a big restaurant very hard work yeah and something that i'm dealing with now with the bigger restaurants is when you have a 40 seater um, and your kind of you, your menus are fluid, and you can play like it's a little easier framework. But in a bigger restaurant, you know, you you kind of you're stuck inside. That framework is a little more rigid. Yeah. And so I think something that those kind of um, the connectivity and stuff that that something like Freshlist brings is it makes it more convenient for a chef to be able to like not have to leave the kitchen right. to, to be able to to do what they do. So there's definitely an important part to play there from the restaurant standpoint, but I agree with you wholeheartedly about the connectivity because I think that adds, it definitely adds value to 
the relationship and the understanding of what's going on um, and where the food's coming from, yeah. which can carry over to the plate and to the guest. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Awesome. Is there anything else you want to, you want to touch on before, uh, before we kind of work, we're in an hour and I, I know you got stuff to grow and I'm good. I'm good. If you are, I'm good for now. If I think of anything else, I'll hit you up and we'll do once we get closer to part two, part two. And I want to get Matt and uh, Noe on here and talk about, cause I think, um, you know, luckily I've been able to kind of see Noe grow up on the farm and be right. a part of, like a part of that over time. And, and now have you have Matt and the family and yeah. it'd be interesting to get their perspective of, um, that would be great. Yeah. Sammy, thanks for having me out here. It's beautiful. So good to see you, man. Good to see you. It's been pre-pandemic, I think. Yeah, Two too years. long. It's too not, long. It can't be that long again. I got my shirt. I love it. Thank you. The camera catching that? <laughs> there, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, buddy. All right.